Before today's episode, we would like to send our sympathies to the family and friends of Betty Boothroyd. As the first female speaker of the House of Commons, she was an inspirational woman who commanded respect through her positive actions in breaking the chains of society. We are sure she will go down in history as a role model to future young men and women in politics. Hello and welcome to Pod Save the King, the podcast which aims to guide Britain to the 21st century through the use of discussion and debate. I'm Conor Stanislauskas and beside me is Alison Bally, great auntie, co-host and fellow political enthusiast. This episode will be exploring our politics theme, discussing Keir Starmer's five missions against PM Rishi Sunak's five promises, 12 years of Conservative government and what a Labour-led Britain would look like. Remember, you can listen to us on a walk, before a talk, in the park or in the dark on your preferred podcast app or website. So, I think we should start with 12 years of Conservative government. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, obviously, uh, you know, David Cameron was elected as leader of the Conservative... Well, not leader of the Conservative Party. He was elected as Prime Minister in 2010. Uh, you know, we went up in that general election against Gordon Brown, who had been uh, Tony Blair's... Was it Chancellor? Chancellor for many yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I always had the ambition to be the Prime Minister, and yeah. I think there was all well, uh, it was suggested that there was always agreement between Tony Blair and Gordon Brown that Tony Blair would be would lead, but then at some point would step down and Gordon Brown would be the Prime Minister. When that cut off point was, I think, was subject to some disagreement between the two of them. Right. And as it turned out, he was a brilliant Chancellor, but I don't think he was a very good Prime Minister. Yeah, he was fairly controversial with some of the things he did. Um, I'm, well, I was young, so I don't remember it, but I've heard about it, uh, you know, recently. Um, calling a, a woman from Rochdale uh, a, a bigot. bigot. Yeah, that yeah. was quite a controversial. It was, and you, you do wonder, was he set up uh, because he was he was wearing a microphone that was still switched on mm. and that's how it all came about. But then really, shouldn't you think his age should have been looking after him a bit better? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it probably inappropriate, the language that he used, but... Uh, he was definitely caught out by that, and he had to do an awful lot of apologising. Certainly, yeah. So anyway, Cameron was elected PM, wasn't he, in 2010? Um, now, obviously, he went into coalition with the Liberal Democrats, um, with Clegg. Um, and basically, what happened was, following the 2010 general election, uh, we had something called a hung parliament, which basically meant that, you know, Conservatives had a plurality of the seats, but they didn't have as big a majority as necessary um so yeah basically cameron went into coalition with clegg uh cameron as pm and clegg as his deputy um now we oversaw quite a lot um you know it was marked by the 2000s financial crisis he also oversaw the 2012 olympics um and as well two major referendums india f in 2014 and brexit in 2016 um so obviously following going into coalition with clegg uh, in 2010. In 2015, there was the next general election where Cameron was re-elected as Prime Minister, but this time with a Conservative majority of 12 seats, which is still a fairly small you know, majority. Um, but, I mean, nevertheless, the Conservatives were in power. Um, 
So, like I said previously, you know, he, he oversaw the 2012 Olympics, uh, the financial crisis. Um, and during kind of his campaigns for these first two general elections, he promised referendums. Uh, it, you know, it worked for Blur when he was running, and in a way it worked for Cameron. So in 2014, Cameron uh, held the Indie Ref referendum, which we discussed on the, our previous podcast uh, that was released in February. Um... And basically, this was to, in a way, shush, really, the, the cry for independence within the Scottish National Party and, you know, other, other places in Scotland. You know, it was a once-in-a-generation referendum. Uh, I was still fairly young, but do you remember the Indy Ref referendum? Um, I do, I do, I do remember it. Um, and it was uh, quite a close call, and I do remember Cameron saying on a... An interview that he drank up the Queen and said, "Mom, I'm happy to tell you your union is still intact." Yeah, yeah. So, but I know that Nicola Sturgeon fought very hard for that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and that was um, main. And th- so Nicola Sturgeon became first minister following this uh, referendum, didn't didn't she? Mm. Who was who was first minister? Alex before? Salmon. That that's yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and then she took over. Obviously, we know now she's resigned as of as of last yeah. month, and currently at this moment in time. We're, I think, are we still in the leadership race, aren't we, yeah, for the yeah, SNP? Yes, we are. Um, we actually are. We, in our last podcast, we were discussing Nicola Sturgeon, and when about three days after that, she announced she was standing down. Yeah, so it was absolutely. very topical, that Yeah, definitely. That debate. Um, so if you haven't watched that, you know, go back and have a listen to it if you're interested. Um, and then, following, obviously, India Ref, uh, Cameron promised the kind of Brexiteers of the Conservative Party and, obviously, UKIP, um, another, you know, Leave parties that did have a referendum on Brexit. So obviously, the infamous Brexit referendum that dominated British politics so much at the time. Um, and like I said with India Ref, you know, I, I was ten when this referendum mm. happened, um, but I do remember it dominating the news every single morning. You know, I've always had a slight interest in in the running of the country, even from ten years old. Uh, you know, Good Morning Britain was already always on in the morning before school, and. Um, I remember seeing that on on Good Morning Britain, um, and you know, obviously, we had, Cameron was in favour of re, you know re- remaining in the European Union. Um, he did he did support the European project, didn't he? He did, and uh, Boris Johnson was um, was also a Remainer at that time. Yeah, was he Mayor of London at this point? Um, he was mayor of London during the 2012 yeah, that's it, Olympic yeah. Games. I'm yeah, not yeah. sure what his position was at, at that time, but he was a he flipped and became a strong advocate for leaving the European Union. Yeah, definitely. And I think UKIP and Nigel Farage. Obviously, I think now UKIP's formed into Reform UK. Is that is that the party that they're in? Um, you know, they put a lot of pressure on the Conservative Party. They, uh, yeah, and and I think that that's kind of what. Began a somewhat domino effect yeah. for the majority of cons- like the the Leave campaign within the Conservative Party becoming so dominant with Boris Johnson. Um, so yeah, after twenty sixteen and that general election, uh, David Cameron kind of disappeared, didn't he, from the face of as the face of British politics? I, I think after the Brexit um, result, and he'd been a, uh, he he was a Remainer. He then said, uh, that's it, I can't carry this forward, it needs to be somebody else that takes us out of Europe. Yeah, 
Um, and so following that, there was obviously a trigger leadership election yeah. within the Conservative Party. And May, Theresa May, the UK's second female Prime Minister, well, I say won the leadership election. She didn't really win the leadership election. Everyone else just really dropped out, and she found herself as Prime Minister and leader of the Conservative Party. So, uh, yeah, in, you know, 2016, May becomes Prime Minister. Um, and, obviously, like I said, she was the second female Prime Minister. In 2017, she triggered, uh, triggered, triggered Article 50, um, which began the process of leaving the European Union. Um, and the following month after triggering, uh, triggering, triggering. What, what's oh, my that's a key word. <laughs> yeah, triggering Article 50, uh, she triggered a snap election, um, which basically was a general election, and she narrowly won forming a government. However, again, hung parliament, you know, we're becoming more familiar with this phrase. I think she triggered that election because she wanted to have a mandate. Yeah, definitely. To take us out of Brexit. She didn't feel that she had the total backing of the country to be able to take us forward. And it was actually a massive mistake because it reduced the Conservative majority, I think. I think it did, yeah. Yeah. Um, So it was like you said, I think, just a slim... Yeah, definitely. Um, Victory. So, it wasn't an official coalition, but May signed what was known as the supply and demand deal with the DUP in Northern Ireland. Um, And basically, that, that was kind of like a... Like over a handshake, really, that the DUP would help the Conservatives pass oh, bills sure. that were in the manifesto. Um, she gave them an awful lot of money, didn't she? Yeah, she yeah. did. Um, <laughs> now, in 2017, Corbyn actually did quite well for the Labour Party. He, he didn't win the general election, but he increased his seat share by quite, quite a number. Um, so, yeah, May was, you know, Prime Minister at this point. Um, and, you know, she did go into an unofficial coalition, should we call it, with the DUP. Um, Something that I found interesting when doing research for this episode, uh, she oversaw a £20 billion increase in NHS funding, Um, which is is quite a positive thing. I think May's premiership's quite clouded with, um, you know, Brexit and, and other controversial acts, you know, like that. The, the, not a minority, but you know she she didn't have a big majority, mm. um, and I think some of the some of the positive things that she did was quite quite positive. So that twenty billion, you know, this when they talk about, and every government will say this, uh, we're investing in public services to an unprecedented amount. But you know when they talk about money in real terms, yeah. And I think that's where we've got to perhaps put a slight bit of a caveat on this twenty billion. Was it really twenty billion? Was it new money, mm. or was it existing money that was rebadged as new money? Yeah, potentially. And every time they give public services money, they always take a bit off and say, "Well, that's for efficiency." Yeah. yeah. So when they give you two point nine percent growth, just as an example. One percent of that might be efficiency, so you're actually only getting one point nine percent. So I think we have to tread a little bit carefully when we talk about. Yeah, it. yeah, definitely. But uh, it, nevertheless, not to detract from that, it it showed quite big support for the NHS. Didn't yeah, it, definitely. By, by um, now May's premiership was, you know, oversaw quite major events. Um, so it, it saw the it oversaw the attacks on um, Westminster. 
terror attacks. The terror attacks uh, on London Bridge, the Manchester Arena bombing, which you know we're from Greater Manchester, aren't we? And that 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 was crazy. Um, hearing about that, and she also was Prime Minister during uh, after the Windrush fire, um, which was also another quite sad event. You In know, Grenfell. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But but the Windrush, it, it was a big scandal in itself. Yeah, so definitely. you're right. Yeah, and, and, so. and Windrush, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, basically, May negotiated a deal with the European Union and, you know, the Leave side of a party really rejected this. You know, she was in a way... She, she just didn't have a chance, really. Um, so the Leave side of a party basically went against her. Uh, and then... You know, following another leadership election, yeah. Boris Johnson was elected. You know, the uh... he was seen to be uh, the white knight on the horse that was going to get Brexit done, and I think that was using his strapline. Yeah, definitely get um, Brexit done. But I suppose Theresa May, she tried. She kept going back to Europe, bringing a, a proposal back to the government, which they kept rejecting. So it must have been an extremely frustrating time for her, but also perhaps an indication that she didn't have the backing of her party, she didn't have the support of her cabinet in order to bring a deal that they would all accept, because they do talk about when you belong to a political party about having uh, some discipline, Yeah, yeah. that you'll tour the party line. Yeah. Well, this was just... It just seemed like she was just, I don't know, blocked every... Absolutely. Whether that was legitimate or not, I don't know, but that's how it certainly seemed to to an outsider, that yeah, she was yeah. blocked at every stage. And May was a Remainer. She, you know, she voted yeah. in favour of remaining within the European Union. Yeah. Um, so it must have been very difficult to kind of negotiate something that you don't, don't want to happen. Yeah. So, if, do you know what? I think that shows that she was a fairly good Prime Minister, the fact that she could put her own beliefs aside. Absolutely, yeah. that's what democracy is based Definitely. on, Definitely, uh, and she put her own beliefs aside to represent and to fulfil the will of the people. Exactly, and that's what every politician should do. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, following Johnson's, uh, you know, Johnson taking up office as Conservative leader and Prime Minister, um, he reopened Brexit negotiations, um, he replaced the Irish backstop with the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now, recently, obviously, Rishi Sunak, the current Prime Minister, has replaced the Northern Ireland, Pro- Northern Ireland Protocol with the um, w- yeah, Windsor Framework. Um, Johnson said he will find very difficult to back. Yeah, definitely. Um, so in December 2019, Johnson called a snap election, winning a 365-seat majority in the House of Commons. So that's the biggest majority we've seen from the Conservative Party since, you know, before Labour, before, you know, the blur years. Why do you think that was? Do you think that be- it was because, let's get Brexit done, and he yeah. seemed to be the man that could so, deliver it? I study And everybody was fed up by this time, because it's been going on for years and well, years Well, exactly. And years. Well, you know, I study A-level politics, and we did, we, at the start of this year, we did case studies on, you know, the kind of 2019 Brexit... Uh, 2019, sorry, um, general election, which was known as the, the Brexit election. It was... Some people label it as the second Brexit referendum. Um, but I think the problem... Well, I say the problem. It wasn't really a problem for the Conservatives. But the problem for those that wanted to remain within the European Union, the Remain vote was divided between multiple parties, right? So, you know, they had, whereas 
with with the kind of leave vote, they had one clear party to vote for, and that was the Conservative Party. Uh, you know, we saw parties like Reform UK actually step down in certain constituencies to ensure that a Brexit party would win. So there was much more unity with the kind of Leave vote and the Leave parties, whereas within the Remain voter and the Remain parties, they had multiple parties to vote for, didn't they? So they had the Labour Party, which should have been the main driving force for Remain. Um, but sat on the fence. Exactly, yeah, because yeah. Corbyn's personal beliefs throughout the the years, throughout the ages, were was he, he was Leave. He didn't believe in the European project, but his party did. Mm. So he was stuck between a rock and an hard place. So I think this did contribute to to Boris's. You know, I said Boris. I suppose the correct term is Johnson. Um, to Boris's Boris again, Johnson's <laughs> Boris Johnson's yeah. victory, and yeah. So it, you know, his premiership was clouded with get Brexit done, oven ready deal, which you know we know that wasn't really oven ready. Um, but anyway, on the thirty first of January um, in twenty twenty, uh, the UK left the European Union, um, which you know was four years in the making the if you think about it the the referendum was 2016 and we only left four we left four years after mm-hmm. now f- all of them four years our news channels was clouded with brexit constant debating back and forth and it was you know i think it put a lot of people off from actually tuning into the news because it was just so it was relentless absolutely and i think people were just fed up definitely and by that time we were just on the brink of coming into COVID as well. Yeah, definitely. We? And that's another thing as well. So Johnson did oversee the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. Um, at the beginning, I'm going to be honest, I thought that he was doing a fairly good job. You know, he was... Absolutely. You know, he, he, he unified he, his party. He did a fantastic job on delivering the vaccination programme. Absolutely. mobilising it rather yeah, yeah. than the delivery because the delivery is done by Absolutely. the NHS and, and others. From the get-go, it looked like... Him and his Conservative government were doing a good job. I think it made him look electable. I think it, it you know, it, it really did boost his his image and his profile. You know, the main kind of target area and the campaign was around the NHS. You know, save, uh, stay at home, save lives, yeah. protect the NHS. And these yeah. slogans were so famous yeah. throughout Britain. Yeah. Um, you know, clapping for the nurses, um, the health workers. It was yeah. just amazing. And he did whip up support, not only from his own supporters, but across just the, country. the country. You know, this is one of the first... Well, I say first. This is one of the first in the 21st century that cross-parties were, were, support, were like all supporting this initiative to, you know, get rid of the pandemic. I suppose uh, it, it's similar in the way of being at war in a way yeah. that it brought. Yeah. We were at war of a kind because we were at war with a virus... So everybody was in it together, yeah. and everybody wanted to protect each other and do the best that we could yeah, absolutely. Uh, for our society. Um, and yes, you can say, and Johnson was very good um, on the vaccination programme, and I think also it's worth noting that we hadn't done this before. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Johnson hadn't done this before. None of the cabinet or the government had ever experienced anything like this on this scale and serenity. So obviously mistakes were made, which we'll explore. Absolutely. And so 
despite his successes with, you know, the early kind of COVID lockdowns and the COVID period, you know, we do know that the party and Johnson's government was engrossed in quite a lot of scandal, right? Partygate, for one of them, which also dominated UK media. Um, You know, we found that Johnson and his Conservative cabinet and government were participating in these illegal parties, you know, breaking their own laws that they set. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, And especially for families, like, I was fortunate enough to, to not lose, you know, a significant family member or friend through the pandemic, but for the people that really did... You know, they were told that they can't visit the family members in the final hours. They were told that they can't go to attend a funeral with all of the family. They couldn't be comforted. And then to find that your leader, you know, the person that's supposed to be championing the views that they, you know, make and laws that they set, you know, outrageous. Um, so I think this started the fall of Johnson, didn't it? Absolutely. Um, just a, a personal opinion. Um I think he's quite a chaotic character um, and I think he swings with the tide rather than having a very clear set of policies. Yeah, definitely. I think he does... uh, I don't think he has clarity of thought. I don't think he does the detail. This is not just my personal opinion. This is what other spectators have said about him. Um... So, really, he was always going to undo himself. Yeah. He was always yeah. going to make that one blunder that was a blunder too far. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it, that was Sean, what you just said. Like, a, I can't remember the name of the meeting, but it was like a, a, a conference with business leaders. It was. And he couldn't find his, his notes or something, That's could right. he? And he started talking about Pepper Pig World, um, which is outrageous that the UK Prime Minister is talking to some of the biggest businesses in Britain and across the world, trying to, you know, trying to get get people to invest in this country, and he starts talking about Pepper Pig World. Unbelievable, really. It Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, it, it dumbs down politicians. Definitely, yeah. It makes some figures of fun. Yeah. And I think that's what Johnson didn't get really. Yeah. I think he thought he kind of rided on the fact that. He got things wrong and he looked dishevelled mm. and that... It, and for some people, that appealed to them. That kind of yeah. flawed politician, he was real. He'd had multiple affairs, multiple children. He wouldn't admit to how many children he had. Mm. For some people, that was for refreshing. To me, it just demonstrated what a flawed Definitely. character Definitely. I'm not sure if you agree with me and I'm not sure if our listeners might agree with me. Um... But when he went out on, you know, international, like, visits, uh, you know, like the G7 conference uh, or or other conferences with world leaders, I felt embarrassed. Seeing them videos and seeing Boris Johnson represent our country, I felt embarrassment. Um, You know, the fact that somebody like Johnson was representing this country, this well-respected country in its own right and its own reputation, the fact that we were being represented by... You know, forgive me if you disagree with me, but a clown, in in a sense, a clown. And do you know where that originated from? That feeling, for me, which I share with you, was when it was at the 2008 Olympics, which I can't remember where that was, but the it, it's part of the ceremony that the flag is then passed mm. to the next country. And he, he was 
flying the flag and he was getting all wrapped around him oh, and yeah. it just seemed an absolute joke. Yeah, and I mean, we, and we see that, you know, once he did resign, um, you know, and, and, and all, the, all the kind of, you know, chaos that, that went after his premiership, we, we saw that. During you know, and after. Yeah. Um, and he's now going in for a big job, isn't he? Yeah, so recently. This is very recent news, actually. Um, is it General Secretary of NATO? So. He's interested in becoming the next leader of the North Atlantic Treaty Alliance. Now, oh, I don't even... I know. I, I don't I, think we can even go I, No, I don't even think I can put that into words. Um, it's too horrifying to Absolutely, contemplate. yeah. Um, so, I mean, we'll keep you posted. I'm sure we'll post something on the Instagram page if if any developments of this story do happen. Um, we might even stick it into an episode in the future. Um, so yeah. Anyway, following Johnson's resignation, it triggered the the leadership election last year in 2022. Now this was it was throughout the summer, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. So eight weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah. So was it from June to oh, September? September, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this obviously the two major players in this were Liz Truss, the former Foreign Secretary, and Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor. Now Rishi Sunak, um, you know, he resigned before Johnson, because he didn't agree with the way Johnson was kind of conducting Sergeant himself. Sergeant Jabbage was like the yeah, same time. Yeah, Some as people well. yeah. have said that was a deliberate act yeah. to bring Johnson down. Yeah, definitely. Because but following their resignation, was it 52 Conservative MPs? Yeah, yeah. yeah 52. Yeah. That's that a big domino number. effect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so obviously, and we spoke about this in our first ever podcast, I mean, I hope we've improved by, you know, I think this is our episode 12 but if you are interested in that, then we do we do take a deeper dive in in a, an earlier podcast, one of our first ones actually. Um, but you know, please forgive us; we were new at the time, so maybe not as good as the current podcast now. But yeah, basically, this triggered the leadership election. Rishi Sunak was the favourite, if 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 you will, within the Conservative kind of MPs. Yeah. Um, but then, basically, what happened was the vote then went to the Conservative membership. Um, and Liz Trust was the famous, uh, was the favourite. Sorry, within the membership, wasn't yeah. she? Possibly because it was Rishi was seen as a traitor to Johnson, so maybe yeah, it was... potentially. And as well, Trust promised law, uh, like law tax, didn't she? That mm. was that was what she stood on law tax. And I mean, if you're a business owner, which is what a lot of the Conservative membership is, then you're going to want to vote for a law tax, uh, you know, leader, aren't you? So yeah, eventually Liz Trust did. You know, become prime minister of the Con- uh, prime minister and leader of the Conservative Party in twenty twenty two. Some people claim that she didn't have a mandate. What do you believe about that? I think she had a mandate, but I don't think it was the right one. Right, and it plunged the country into crisis very quickly. It really did, you know. So we know that Liz- so Liz Truss's first day in office was the fifth September, which is which was my first day at sixth form actually. Yeah. So uh, I remember that day well. Um, it was shortly after the Queen. It it was just before just, the Queen passed. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. one of the, the last acts that the Queen did yeah, was right. invite Liz Truss to yeah. form a government in her name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the Queen... Did the Queen pass two days after that? It was very shortly after. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Liz Truss oversaw the kind of quasi-quartan mini-budget, uh, extremely controversial... Uh, you know, we saw the pound plummet after that. Uh, 
just wasn't a great time in Britain at, at, at that point, was yeah, it really? It was, it was astonishing how quickly instability can occur. Definitely. And especially with uh, inside a democracy that's, that's lived for generations, you know. Yeah. So it is quite crazy to think about that. Um, so obviously the mini-budget failed and she resigned. Was it 44 days that she resigned? I'm not sure, but the, what was the catalyst? Because there was the there was the terrible decision regarding the economy, but then something else happened. Yeah, um, so she, I think because she, she, she turned, didn't she? She was constantly turning. Obviously the first female Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, was known as you know the Iron Lady who was not for turning. turning. Liz Truss is known as... The, the lady, the lady that did keep, turn. Yeah, that had to keep turning. Yeah, and I think it was these just constant turns on policy that she decided, you know, I just can't go on. Mm. She, I don't think she didn't have the support of a party, um, and she recognised that it was, you know, the the infamous lettuce that she was outlived by. It was crazy, yeah. um, a crazy time in British politics. So that triggered a shorter leadership election uh, when she resigned. Um, she kind of had negotiations, didn't she, with was it the 1922 committee? Yeah. Um, and obviously they recognised that the UK was in turmoil. They realised that this next leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister needed to get in fast. Yeah. Um, so the leadership election, the, the last one after Truss's re- resignation, was a weak. It, it was a weak uh, election. Um, and basically, Sunak put his hat in the ring. Um, Penny Morden, did she put a hat in the ring again? Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously we know that Sunak won that. Um, so the Conservative members didn't have a chance to vote in this leadership election uh, because, you know... The, the, the they couldn't have gone through another eight weeks certainly of not. turmoil. So, yeah, Sunak did become Prime Minister and he's, he's our current <laughs> Prime Minister now. Um and so, he's kept Jeremy Hunt as Chancellor, hasn't he? He has, yeah. And I think that's to show a bit of stability, really. You know, we've got a different Prime Minister, but we are keeping the same Chancellor. But I think also because Jeremy Hunt was brought in after Kwasi Kwarteng had to resign, and I remember his first speech and he said, I have talked to the Bank of England, I have talked to this person, I've talked to that... To, to establish dot, what do we need to do to get the economy back on a stable position. And I think that was the difference between him and his predecessor. Yeah, definitely. Predecessor was like, we're going to do this. Yeah, yeah, blinkers on, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that showed a degree of um, humility, really, wasn't it? It did, yeah. He didn't think he was the expert. He'd been the health secretary for a very long time uh, in a previous life. So that, that, to me, showed the country was in a safe pair of hands. Yeah, definitely. And it probably continues to, to be so. Yeah, and Sunak yeah. promised, didn't he? Um, you know, he kind of promised that he will be... He'll, he'll rid the party of corruption. He'll, yeah, he'll be a, a trustworthy prime minister um, and lead with kind of integrity. That was, that was, his, that was his image, integrity. Um, and basically, yeah, that was... That that was yeah. that was Sunak, and he's carried on now. You know, we have seen recent su- successes with the Windsor framework, uh, which we'll probably discuss at a later date because it, it's it's quite a juicy topic. Um, so yeah, so now what we want to do is compare Sunak's recent five promises with Keir Starmer and the Labour Party's five missions. Now. I had the pleasure to actually attend Starmer's speech uh, in Manchester at the Cooperative HQ two was it two Thursdays ago. Yeah, um, 
so today's date is the 5th, the, the 5th of March. Crazy how fast a year goes, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah, I, I had the pleasure to attend Starmer's speech, um, and it was at that speech that he and his cabinet, the shadow cabinet ministers, announced these five missions. Uh, so the five missions are, uh, to, the first is to secure the highest sustained growth in the G7. The second is build, the NA, build an NHS fit for the future. The third is make Britain streets safe. The fourth is break down the barriers to opportunity at every age. And the fifth is make Britain a clean energy superpower. Uh, I think that's by 2030, you said, didn't it? Um, and throughout the speech, it was, it, it, you know, it was quite mesmerising, actually. He was going through and he was saying, one country can be such and such. And he'd pause and say, why not Britain? Another country can be this. Why not Britain? And oh, the crowd set it up. Everyone clapped. It was absolutely amazing. And it really, well, from my opinion anyway, it really kind of boosted um, uh, morale in the room. You know, it gave us a kind of sense that we are on the track to better things. So that it, it was quite amazing, actually. Um, I'm really interested to hear you say that because one of the things that Keir Starmer's been... Uh, accused of is being uh, quite not very charismatic, mm. not a strong leader. Uh, so, do you feel that his TV persona is very different from what you saw on that day? I think absolutely. Yeah. Is he honing his performance? Do you think he really is? You know, and if I didn't think that Labour was going to win the next general election before that speech, boy, do I think it now! Wow. And well, that's yeah, had the in- uh, absolutely intended effect. Yeah, definitely. It? And I think what Starman needs to do now is he needs to go around the country. I think he needs to show other people, and not just Labour members, but everybody, absolutely. this this kind of character that he's got himself. Yeah. Um, you know, he is. He, he has been accused of, uh, and I'll quote this: flip flopping on certain decisions. But I don't think that's a fully negative thing. I think a leader that can change is a good leader. Yeah. I think a leader's got to be able to look back and think, hang on, I may have championed this at one point, but I now don't think it's relevant, so I'm going to change my mind, yeah. and I'm going to stick to something that's better and works. Yeah. And I don't think that's a negative thing that people are kind of portraying and targeting him for. In fact, I think that's that's positive. What do you think about that? I, I agree with you, actually, because circumstances do change, and, uh, and you can't think that a policy that was right in the 1960s is right for today. It might be, mm-hmm. but equally it might not be, because you have to change as society changes. Yeah, absolutely. People's expectations change. So it's really great to hear you say that um, about Keir Starmer, and I think you're absolutely right that he needs to get out there But what I'm thinking about is how does the media decide how much time, her time, is given to each of the leaders of each party? Is that an equal playing field? Because I've only seen Ed Davey once in probably the last two months. Yeah, so this is another thing we study in politics at A-level, is the media doesn't give equal her time to each party. Um, That's a surprise. Yeah, so in the 2019 general election, the Conservatives got the most air time. The Labour's came fairly close up, up up in second place, but it wasn't as much as the Conservatives, and then obviously followed by SNP, Lib Dems, Green Party, etc. So the remain after the top two, did the, all the remaining parties get the same amount of time? Or did, was it like a sliding yeah, scale it, downwards? It was a slope, but it was, it was Conservative, 
fairly towards the top of the graph, if you imagine it as a graph. Yes. The Conservatives fairly, fairly to the top, Labour not so far behind, and then a massive dip, and then you've got SNP, Lib Dem, all them other wow. parties. Is that really a democratic society? Well, certainly not uh, an equal press, you know what I mean? Surely not, you know, uh, part, uh, non-partisan news. Um, I was listening to, which podcast was it? I think it was either the News Agents podcast or uh, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart's The Rest of Politics. And one of them said, um, basically, the, the difference between the United States and the UK is that the United States uh, television news is much more part, uh, uh, much more partisan, um, whereas in the UK the papers are much more partisan. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah. So is this like Fox is Republican and ABC is yeah, Democrat? In the same, I'm not saying that yeah, that's yeah. the correct. In way the around, same way that but in this country the Sun is conservative, and other other papers Telegraph. are. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, over the Labour, and I think this contributes to the UK's two-party system in a way. Yeah. I think it does have quite a big impact because if 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 you know the two main parties, if only two parties again, the majority of her time, and that's all you're seeing. And most people do get the majority of the news from papers like the Sun, uh, the Guardian, the uh, ITV, BBC. You know, you will vote for one of them parties. You're more likely to, aren't you? Um, so yeah, yeah. I think sadly. Um... I've heard I heard this back in the nineteen ninety seven election campaign. A vote a vote for Lib Dem is a wasted vote, and I don't agree with that sentiment. Yeah, and it's quite sad, and I suppose that comes into it's, a... it's because it's creating a two party system. Yeah, definitely, and that's not democracy. No, it's not, and I suppose it it kind of it is a very juicy topic that maybe we can explore wider at a later date, yeah. but. Yeah, it is quite sad. So, um, I'd like to tell you Rishi Sunak, the current Prime Minister of the United Kingdom's five promises. So, one of them is halving inflation by this year, creating better paid jobs and opportunities, uh, reducing the national debt, cutting NHS waiting lists, passing laws to stop small boats, and removing illegal arrivals. So... What I've noticed about these kind of two, five promises, five missions, very vague. I think they can, more, more soon X five promises at least, they can, the, the, the statistics can be, can be bent in a certain way. Do you know what I mean? Do you, would you agree? Um, I think certainly some of, the, some of them can. Um, <clears throat> it's a bit like if you've got a four-hour target in A&E, well, when it gets to three hours, 59 minutes, they get shipped on to somewhere else. Yeah. So, you can, of course, you can manipulate all sorts of data. I think it's less easy to manipulate inflation data. Yeah, I get that. Because the Bank of England are very much involved in that, and yeah. I don't think you can mask it. Yeah, yeah, true, um, true. So, I think some of the things, once we have the detail, you can monitor, and, and others, we'll just have to see, won't we? So the the kind of announcement of the five missions from Starmer, I think that's a, that's to kind of coerce people into directly putting his five missions against Sunak's five promises and comparing the way they each do it, right? Yeah. So at the speech when Starmer, um, you know, released the five missions two Thursdays ago, um, at the end he took questions from the press and a question from um, the Sun newspaper. This man stood up and he said. Something along the lines of, I'm not, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying the quote directly. This is just from experience. He, he, something along the lines of, uh, 
Keir Starmer, you flip-flopped on this policy, this policy, and this policy. Uh, what's to say that you won't flip-flop when you get into number 10? And how do you know that the British people trust you to, to implement these five missions? Starmer, you know, um, he, he leant against the lectern, and he, he smiled to himself, a little smirk, um, and he said, well, how about we have a general election now, you put my five missions up against Sunak's five promises, and then we'll see how much the British people trust me to implement these. Which, you know, quite a powerful, quite a powerful statement, you know, yeah. a powerful response, and I think a good response. What do you, what, do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I, well, I mean, it, I think what he's trying to say is, um, I'll hold myself accountable against the delivery of those five missions. Definitely, yeah. And and it's almost like a challenge back to the press and saying, well, you know, I know I'm in the the lead in the polls. It's likely I'm going to be in power. Let's, you know, let's let's test it out. Yeah, yeah. And let's hope he can deliver. Definitely. Um so yeah, I think that is interesting and we'll you know, I'm sure we'll keep the listeners up to date if we, there's any further advancements than we said for previous things. Um so, before we finish today's podcast, I think we'd like to talk a little bit about 2019 again, um, and how, you know, how Corbyn kind of lost that general election for Labour dramatically, and what Starmer's done to improve that, that, that state of Labour. So, in 2019, it was Labour's worst election result since, 90, since the 1930s, since, you know, before Labour was a major player in British politics. Um, so in 2019, Corbyn only won 208 seats in the House of Commons. A tiny, tiny result. Um, and as I said, it is the lowest result since the 1930s. Um, so why do we think this is? Why do you think, kind of, that th- this happened? Well, I suppose one thing is, as we've said previously in regards to Johnson, this was known as the Brexit general election, right? It was kind of the general election dominated by Brexit, and Corbyn did take a, um, a kind of on the fence stance with Brexit. Absolutely, because we, don't, we weren't sure which way the Labour Party, whether were the for Brexit or against it. Well, exactly, yeah, because Corbyn in the past had championed the, the Leave kind of sentiment. He, he didn't believe in the European project, but the majority of Labour MPs and the majority of, you know, the Labour membership and Labour voters did support Remain in the European Union. So, he was stuck between a rock and an hard place in, in that respect. Um, like I said, you know, the, the, the Leave vote, sorry, the Remain vote was quite divided. So, a lot of people went to the Lib Dems, a lot of people went to the SNP in Scotland, and it was very difficult for the party. Um, and as well, you know, anti-Semitism we found now was rife within the Labour Party. Um, you know, Starmer said numerous times he's going to pull it out from the roots, um, which in a sense he's achieved. Uh, yeah, um, certainly a sense that he's achieved. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, it's not kind of a celebration that he's achieved that it's his yeah. job to achieve that. You know, yeah. but I, I think nevertheless it it was a difficult thing to do, and he's done it. Um, so yeah, in it, around the same time, the EHRC's report into anti-Semitism um, that was conducted basically said that they found serious failures within the leadership, um, along with the process and culture within the party, which is a damning report. You know, 
as it's quite embarrassing actually, uh, to be fair. Um, and as well, they also ruled that it was a f- they failed the party to deliver adequate training to staff, which again was was, was a massive failure. But I think that the problem with anti-Semitism within the party wasn't just you know your MPs. It wasn't just main leaders and mini- uh, shadow ministers. It was councillors. It was people working within the party, and it was a really big job to to kind of yeah. dig it out by the roots. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, Starmer, we think you know, yeah. has achieved this, um, and you know, he's, he, Corbyn is no longer a standing MP for Labour. Uh, he had the party whip taken off him, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and Starmer has released recently in, in the past couple of weeks that Corbyn will not have that whip restored yeah. uh, at the next election. So what do you think about that? Well, I think it shows the strength of his uh, leadership, really, doesn't it? That yeah. he's going to stand by his guns. Because there must have been a lot of opposition to his approach. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I think it can only stand him in good stead in terms of the Labour Party and generally the public. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it could also attract, you know, like kind of swing voters, those that do Maybe. vote f- for different yeah. people Maybe. but didn't like the kind of left ideas oh, of Corbyn. Corbyn. Um, so yeah, I think I think that is good. And the other week he, he recently said, didn't he, to his to his Labour MPs that still supported Corbyn, back me or quit. Yeah. And that's a powerful yeah, statement. It is. You know. It is. Um and it it, it shows that he is commanding this yeah. this leadership and yeah. commanding support of his party. It's from from everything you've said, particularly about that speech that you you um, you attended, it does seem that he's now moving into this more authoritative figure. Yeah, definitely. Than yeah. he perhaps has done in the past, and that that's what the country's looking for. Definitely, and strong leadership. Yeah, yeah. Safe pair of hands. I think the next general election can either go two ways, and we can compare it to two past general elections. I think it can either go like the general election of um, was it nineteen ninety two with Major, mm-hmm. um, you know the the general election ninety two. I think it can either go that way where you know the Conservatives say right we've got rid of the old leader, we've got a fresh new leader that can lead our country, and the Conservatives can either win it that way, or it'll go like the nineteen ninety seven election where you know the Labour leader Landslide. says look at what they've done, look at the mess yeah. that they've made. Yeah, new Labour. New Britain, exactly. So, yeah, there's two paths it can go down. Um, So, yeah, I think that was a very... um, Yes. That was a a very interesting conversation. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, There is more we'd love to dive into. You know, we see ourselves kind of off-roading a little bit throughout throughout this episode. But, you know, just more topics that are later Mm -hmm. to Remember, if you have anything you want to discuss or anything you want to bring up or anything you disagree or agree with... Um, our email is podsavetheking22 at gmail.com our instagram is pod.save.the.king um, give us a direct message interact with us on there um, and we'll be happy to answer back wouldn't we absolutely um, so thank you for listening that's a goodbye from me um, goodbye from him